God's got plans for Paul, but he's also had some plans and, and maybe those two didn't line up. And I don't know if you can identify with that. Sometimes your plans haven't all come together and you thought they were God's plans, but, and I can witness to that. But yeah, he's headed for Jerusalem thinking, oh, I'm carrying a gift and I'm going to deliver this gift because they're in need, they're in crisis and, and uh, there's poverty and there's all sorts of things happening. And so he planned to meet those that he's writing to in Rome. And uh, then he's going to go as a launch pad onto Spain. Who wouldn't want to go there? Um, but he's arrested in Jerusalem. And uh, God did speak into that prophetically, but he's falsely accused. His face is, even in the midst of all of that, one step worse, an assassination attempt. Then he's imprisoned for a couple of years. And then he's transported courtesy of the Roman uh, slave ships or whatever they would have been using, prisoner ship. He's, he's couriered. And then the ship, has a terrible shipwreck, even though he tries to warn them. And he's bitten by a viper, not exactly what he had in mind. And uh, he's a political prisoner under house arrest in Rome for a number of years. So, you know, when he shared those plans, I don't think he saw the fine print. <laughs> I don't think he saw, but behind them, God had plans. And so when we look at uh, uh, Proverbs 16, and these two verses were so pivotal in my life at a time where I was at a crossroads. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and He'll establish your plans. For in His heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. He will establish your plans. Um, the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. That goes on to another very similar in Proverbs 19.21. So I'm in the middle of Amsterdam, a city that must have... Had te you know, God wants us to face fears. I will just need to put that out there. And I, I derived very conservative South Africa, never exposed to anything, really. Uh, you know, there was no vices, if I can put it that way, that were available in the South Africa that I grew up in. It was, uh, you know, there was corporal punishment in school. That never did me any harm. Uh, in fact, it probably straightened me out. And there was a lot of other things that were really, um, you know, beneficial in terms of, of, of just conservative... Um, country with godly values in many ways, although there was a lot of other wrong things. I'm not saying there weren't. But I ended up in Amsterdam and it was a terrible uh, experience because I arrived there and, and I thought, no, I've just got to find a Christian place to stay because that's probably the safest because people were at the train station tr trying to, you know, the moment I got off the, station, uh, the train, trying to sell me drugs. I thought, that's never happened to me in South Africa and all the years I lived there and uh, never seen drugs, never mind, you know. So it was just crazy. I stayed in this youth house, went out at night, and then there was these bands playing, strung out on, on probably mainline drugs, just looked like the walking dead, pale and pasty faces, scary stuff. I thought, no, no, this is not a happy place. I, I'm leaving. So it was a Sunday morning, and anyway, I just thought, I'm, this is where people are going to church. And here there's other business going on, if you know the red light district. Anyway, there's some things that are happening on this Sunday morning that I just was shocked. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of the city with my tail between my legs. I didn't want to go back there, to be honest. And what does God say to me when I come back to him in America? He says, go to first, go to Belgium. And I thought, Belgium? And there was Christian camping there, um, the only free evangelical youth camp in Belgium. And so I arrived there and, and they were theming it on different countries. And I ended up in this African country. There's one bed spare. And I meant help there. And we had sown some money from the Christian youth camp in America that I was working in. And so God's taking me on a journey now. It's just like next step, next step. Where to from here, Lord? And, uh, and he said, go to Amsterdam. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> 
So I hitchhiked. I got, I think, two lifts, and I was in Amsterdam. I was like, how does that happen, you know, hitchhiking? And then I arrived there, and I couldn't find a place to stay. I went to the same Christian youth hostel. Oh, no, we're full. It was this peak summer, and I'm like, that's when I sat down, and I opened the Bible, and the Bible just, those scriptures jumped off the page. They just became so real, almost as close to the audible voice of God. And so I, I said, okay, God, you, you've got plans for me here, and and, but I want to commit those plans to you that they may succeed. And I, I want to pray that you determine my steps. You order my steps. I'm going to walk from this place. And uh, God met a physical need by having a bit of food. You always feel a bit better after eating something. And then I walked and I walked back straight to the same Christian youth hostel. I was like, uh, they said, um, we'll put, they thought it was late at night. And I think they thought probably a, best we give this guy a bed. Next morning they said, do you, do you want to work in this youth hostel? I mean, it's just unheard of that somebody says to you, so I said, Lord, now I know why I'm here. And I went out with evangelistic team and I was witnessing to pimps and prostitutes and all sorts of things. We were just ministering to on the streets. Just a powerful, powerful time. And I was like, God, I know why you brought me here. And then there, from there, it was on to Scripture Union. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to join YWAM because they seem to be a you know, vision for the nations and the world. And I went to Austria and they said, sorry, you haven't done a DTS. You can't help us here. So God closed that door. Then I ended up going into Turkey, just saying, God, where to from here? And God used what I experienced in Turkey to call me into the nations and ministry later on. And that's another story in itself. But why I say all of that, I never thought I would go to Turkey as a married man. I certainly didn't think I would go with children. But God had other plans. And I thought I had the gift of celibacy, but God had other plans. <laughs> and He cured me <laughs> in, in uh, bringing a wonderful wife into my life. And I managed to uh, marry Bibi, and, and, um, and, and she was a gift from God. She's also a mother to nations, one of the words that God spoke over her life. And so we ended up in Turkey for a number of years and in Mongolia a couple of times, and, and uh, then we ended up here. So God's taken us on not exactly what I didn't know the full picture. I really didn't. The plans that God had, the blueprint. And so I, I say that all to say the following. God's looking for your availability more than your ability. And God smiles when you obey Him wholeheartedly. That means doing whatever God asks without reservation or hesitation. To trust and obey. There's no other way. To be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. And as a parent, you know that delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. God doesn't owe you and I an explanation or reason for everything He asks of you and I. You see, understanding can wait, but obedience can't. You see, obedience unlocks understanding. Often we try and offer God partial obedience, but that's really disobedience. We're not at liberty to pick and choose the commands that we obey. For example, I'll read my Bible, but I won't forgive the person who hurt me. Well, I'll attend church, but I have a tithing thing. No. Or I'll serve others, but I have grounds to be angry or bitter with that person. Wholehearted friend, obedience, friends, is done joyfully with enthusiasm. It's not partial. The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 2, obey him gladly. That's the attitude of David in Psalm 119:33. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey. Isn't that wonderful? He was a man after God's own heart. 
And in the New Testament, James, in James 2.24, speaking to the Christians said, we please God by what we do, not only by what we believe. Any obedience is also an act of worship. And why is obedience so pleasing to God? I think it's because it's His love language. Have you heard about love languages? There's a sixth love language and it's obedience. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's His love language. And, and Jesus speaks in John 14.15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And love, friends, always trust. Trust and obey go hand in hand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. That's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. And there's two examples as we're looking at this last chapter here of um, nations and, and peoples. You've got Abraham, the Old Testament example. And you've got Paul, New Testament example. In the same way that God called Abraham and blessed him in, in, in Genesis 12 to be a blessing. A scripture was spoken over us at our wedding. A blessing to what? To the nations, to the ethnos, to the ends of the earth. So he encountered Paul and he blessed him to be a blessing to the same, the nations, to the ethnos, to the ends of the earth. And so when he encounters you and he saves you and he blesses you, you are to be a blessing. As I said last week, top line, you blessed, bottom line, to be a blessing. And so Isaiah 6, he describes seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And if we had time, I could look at that whole passage. But out of that incredible, read it in Isaiah 6. He's, 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 woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. And, and, uh, and then the seraphim takes a coal and cleanses his lips. And, 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 and he says, I'm undone. That, he felt totally... I, mean, I wish I could express the, the original language better, but it was to be with, with almost to the place of, of I'm going to be disintegrated. I'm going to come undone. I'm going to come apart. I'm going to be obliterated or annihilated. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was, I'm in the presence of the Almighty. And out of that incredible moment, you'd think, you know, I could imagine he was, he was face down, but, but there's a mercy moment. And there's a mandate that comes out of that incredible vision that he has. And there's a mission with a message. All the M's there, mercy, mandate, mission, message. It's like Isaiah's eavesdropping on the Godhead. And he hears, who will go for us? And he interjects on the other, pick me, pick me. Oh, here I am, send me, send me. And then he hears, go and tell. The same thing Jesus said to his disciples in the Great Commission just before he left. The last words, often the most important. Go and tell. He said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, to listen and come to church every Sunday or, or uh, write down some notes or... No, no, teach them to obey, to obey everything, everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he's, he's got all authority and he's with us to the end of the age. What more can we need or want? He's hedged you in as we sang. You know, it's like he goes before me. You know, I know who goes after me, who's behind me. So what, what do I have to worry? He's all around. He's with me. And friends, you and I have been blessed by the gospel and we're called to be that blessing, to go with a holy ambition, with a priestly duty to those who don't yet know him. 
We get to participate. We get, the, we get privileged to participate in the great rescue plan of reaching those who don't yet know Him. For God so loved that He gave. What? He gave us all His only. His only begotten. That if you believe, whosoever, you are, you and I, <laughs> the whosoever's, we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. Everlasting life. He came to seek and save the lost. If you could sum up Jesus in one verse, He came to seek and save the lost. The same thing as His followers, as little Christs, Christians, that's what it means, because we have Christ in us, to be the same, to seek and save the lost. And in the chaos of life, there's an eternal plan unfolding. And we can find assurance and, and rest in knowing that God is sovereign over every detail. Even Joseph in the Bible, he faced betrayal. He faced uncertainty. But we can believe God controls our stories. When we read his story, we think, okay, no matter what happens in my life, I can see God's hand. and Because uh, he works all things together for our good. Paul's the one who wrote that, the one who ended up shipwrecked and, and in prison and bitten by a snake and whatever. <laughs> he shapes us to be more like his son. So let go of the burden of trying to be in control and find peace and rest in God's sovereignty. He has you. God has you. He has your story, friends. He has your future in hand. If he's got the whole world in his hand, he's got you and I in his hands too. And He will use your choices and even the choices of those around you. If God is sovereign, even you can't screw it up. That's quite a shock. That can put you at rest. R.C. Sproul, great theologian, he said, God's sovereignty is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head at night, giving an assurance that even in the chaos of life, there's an eternal plan unfolding as we grow in believing that God is the one in control. It will relieve us of the burden of trying to be. And so, friends, this passage in my, my, this morning is, is chapter 16. And it's quite a, it's, you know, you've got the Hebrews chapter 11, faith chapter, with all these heroes of the faith. This is a, another Paul's heroes of the faith chapter, where he's listing a lot of names. And I actually was trying to get the uh, version Bible app in good English, English English, and you know, like, like, British English, to read it because there's a lot of names in there. <laughs> and they're not all Greek names and they're not all this name and Persian names and this name. So a community with purpose. And um, I think for the sake of time, I'm going to encourage you to read those names, but I will refer to them uh, in, in my notes because it's, it'll take about four minutes to read all those names and I'll probably do a, a pretty... <laughs> anyway. So in these final words from Paul, there's a long list of Paul, uh, people... Paul mentions that have helped him in accomplishing his work and proclaiming the gospel. And so we might think, well, Paul was such a highly skilled preacher and evangelist. However, according to the Corinthian reports or the, the Corinthian church, he was actually quite an, an ordinary person. This is what the church said in Corinth. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's, he's an un, unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to mm, not much, actually nothing. So, so you think, Maybe he was short in stature. Maybe he was, I don't know. But, but they, they weren't so impressed. But obviously the truth that this man brought, and whatever image you may have about this man, it was probably not one of them. Paul was ordinary, but we soon realized Paul was backed by a community that had been captivated by the gospel of, of God. 
These early communities of Christian followers, they saw themselves as launch pads to help reach nations of people who do not yet know Christ. Like we heard about the Macedonian church. They gave beyond their means to, to further the cause, to, to you know, take the gospel. And, and so there's a famous African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. And so when it takes a community captivated by Christ to reach the nations, to be gateways to the nations, not just a few gifted individuals. William Temple, and I listened to, uh, if you get a chance, I think it's on Amazon Prime, but anyway, there's a, uh, there's a documentary on Billy Graham's life about an hour long. I encourage you to listen to it. Man, I wept through some of that. This man, how God took him through the preaching of Mordecai Ham. Who talks, remembers Mordecai Ham? Nobody. But everyone knows, you know, most people in the world know who Billy Graham was. Preached to more than 100 million, more people in person than anywhere else on the planet. Out of such humble origins, friends, as a farm boy. And look what God can do. But he's not going to build through just a Billy Graham. Billy Graham's gone to glory. You and I are here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So William Temple wrote, the church exists primarily for the sake of those who are still outside of it. It's the only organization. I don't want to say it's an organization because it isn't. Family, community, building, all the household of faith, all the things that we, bride, army, beautiful pictures of the church. But it's the only thing that exists for its non-members. That's where we exist for. <laughs> it's for those who aren't yet part of us. And, and so this is evidence here. The community for community sake is just a club. But a community with God's heart for those who don't know Him is a church. We're never called to be a community simply blessed by God, but a community blessed by God to be a blessing for others. And that's why Paul could reach the nations around him with entire communities that were captivated by the gospel of God. And the gospel, it, first of all, it invites you in. And then having been freely justified by grace, we, we have peace with God. And then spiritually, we relocated. Our new status is in Christ. However, the gospel also sends us out. Not only are you in Christ, but you sent out. Commissioned to go into a broken world and share the hope, as I've said, that Jesus secured. It's your priestly duty to, to proclaim the gospel of God. And you and I are the light and the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And so, friends, Gateway speaks about hosting you know, things in the nation. Um, we've got partnering elders coming in, in the middle of March. Be aware of the odds of March, but we've also got this happening in Europe. And I do want to encourage you, the, the, the um, registrations have opened just a few days ago. Uh, they've got you know, I've, the emails, just let me know and I'll, I'll be able to send you more information. And it is a, a powerful time, three, four, five hundred. I think there's already more than 250 people who registered in 24 hours. God's doing something in Europe, in Europe. He's doing something, friends. And I'm, I'm encouraged. That's just from our stream. Never mind the other streams and other flows, if you want to put it that way. And so we've got people coming in from Dublin and Malta. Uh, there's all sorts of things happening. And so we, we're going to know him and make him known to the ends of the earth. And so you and I have a part, as my third point, in God's plans. And so the second list of heroes of the faith they tell us something beautiful about the rich tapestry of people involved in the early church. And what's striking about these names is not just the names, but how diverse it is or was. So the first names, there's a diversity in class. There were benefactors like Phoebe, 
a prominent city treasurer like Erastus, business owners like Priscilla and Aquila, owners of entire households. Then there was also slaves like Herodian and Hermas and Hermes. And then there were ex-prisoners like Adronicus and Junia. Now that's quite a mixture, would you agree? Diversity across the, the board. And Phoebe was the one who was entrusted to read this letter across the, the believers in Rome. She was the one who would have taken the letter into the, 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 the secret places. I don't know if it was catacombs at that time, you know, with the little sign of the fish. You know, if you've ever watched those children's stories where you, secret believers gathered in the, in the catacombs under Rome. But anyway, secondly, there was a diversity in ethnicity. Many of the names are in Greek, but not all of them. Some of them are Jewish, like Sosipata. I don't know if that's how you would say it. Rufus and Jason. Some are Persian, like Persis and Eponetus. Some would appear to be Latin, Tertius. Maybe Paul would have mentioned them to help him translate or needed them to help him translate when he reaches Spain. But, but there was ethnicity there. So not only diversity in, in, in class or station in life, but there was also diversity in gender. Out of a male-dominated society, out of the 28 names that are written, how many do you think are ladies? Ten, you're right. Somebody knew. Margaret knew. And that's striking. We read of Phoebe. She carried the letter to Rome, as I, as I said, and read it out to the congregation. Priscilla, she's mentioned several times in the New Testament. Um, Paul goes on to mention Mary, Trophina, Trophosa, and Persis. Each person worked hard in the Lord. Paul also mentions Junior. He speaks a kind word about Rufus's mother, who'd been like a mother to Paul. In verse 15, Paul mentions Julia and his sister Nereus. And the sister, the sister of Nereus. And then fourthly, couples and singles. There are couples and singles mentioned. Married and singles took part. Your marital status did not disqualify you from participating in God's plan. It's actually a high calling to be single with an undivided heart and devotion. It's an incredibly high calling. Paul said, I wish to God you were more like me to be so able to give yourself completely. And then diversity and gifting. We can wrongly assume that there are those who call to preach and travel like Paul. Maybe God, we're not all called to necessarily uh, preach and travel like Paul, but maybe God will call you to that, but maybe you have another role to play. Some were, People who just had a, a place to host, in other words, homeowners. They opened up their homes and some were benefactors or financial sowers into the work. And there was writers and there were merchants that helped carry messages along trade routes. It took this, this wonderfully rich, diverse tapestry of community playing their part to assist Paul in reaching the nations. They didn't disqualify themselves or consider themselves second fiddle in seeing God's gospel go to all nations, all ethnos, all peoples. And his ultimate motivation for mission was bringing all, uniting all nations to Jesus as a united multicultural family of faith. I love that. It's just a, and we've got an expression of that even here this morning. How can the same gospel motivate you and I beyond your fears and my fears, beyond our complacency, beyond our feelings of inadequacy? God wants to strip that away this morning. We can simply assume that we have nothing to offer, but God shows you through that list that we should raise our heads and we should realize we all have a part to play in reaching the nations with the gospel of God. I think we all are included. Better together, stronger together. 
And we, so we raise our, our heads and we realize we all have a part to play in reaching the nations. So you've got this long list of Jews and Gentiles. You've got men, women. You've got slaves and free. It helps us, you and I, understand that we're part of the story regardless of your background or your, your beginnings. And we're called to proclaim the mystery of God for the glory of God. And the final thing this morning is, as we end this incredible letter of Romans, he went to great lengths, Paul did, and he traveled great distances to get the gospel to as many people as he could in his lifetime. He called it my gospel because for him, the gospel spoke about the great lengths his Savior went through to rescue him. And view of the mercy of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. It was a truth that was so personal to him, deeply personal, and it was so precious. So friends, this gospel of God this morning is a beautiful truth that God the Father sent his one and only Son, who left the comfort of heaven and the majesty of heaven, and he traveled to earth to die in your and my place, and defeat death, and reconcile you and me to, to the Father that's not just good news for you. That's not just good news for me. That's good news for everyone. So Father, I do pray this morning. I know that sin separates God. I know that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us can say we haven't. We've missed the mark. We've chosen our will above your will. We've gone beyond set limits. We've trespassed. God, we've, we've done things that we would be ashamed to see if they were put on a screen behind us or in front of us. God, it would be, and yet you reached in. In your nakedness upon the cross, you wanted to take our guilt, our shame, our sin, that we would be clothed in your righteousness. Just as the blood only clothed you, only your blood can clothe and cleanse and wash us and make us acceptable. So God, I acknowledge along with others, that we've sinned, but also that that sin separated us. But thirdly, that there's forgiveness in your name. That we could be ransomed from a slave market, enslaved to sin. We could be purchased with your precious blood, paid in full, restored, forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. That is the power of the cross this morning, the power in Jesus' mighty name. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you cry out to God from your heart, He will hear you and He will forgive you. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. That's a prayer He loves to answer. Show yourself to me, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.